the Night Owl Podcast, Episode 12, The Spider House. Before we dive into this final episode of Season 1, allow me to share a couple of exciting updates with you. First and foremost, we have great news. The Night Owl Podcast has been nominated as the Best Austin Podcast in the Chronicles 2018 Best of Competition. This means that we need you to go and vote for us before it's too late. Deadline to cast your vote is October 1st, so please, if you can, pause this and visit austinchronicle.com to vote. There's also a link and instructions on how to vote at the nightowlpodcast.com's homepage. Why is this such a big deal? Well, winning Best Austin Podcast would not only be an honor for the show, it would allow us to grow the show with sponsorships, more episodes a month, and more listenership. So please, go vote now. Thank you. Second, we want you to mark your calendars for October 11th, 2018, because we're teaming up with Story Bar to present Free Range Spirits, a night of live ghost stories on a haunted farm in Austin, Texas. We're also thrilled to have Typewriter Tarot and Cara Cara Brewing Company as partners for this haunting event. A quick note, Sarah, Alexis, and I have already investigated this location, and boy, is this place perfect for our first live event. I'm not going to give it away, but we had one of the coolest investigations yet on this show. And on top of all that, we're going to take you on a haunted tour of the farm. So get your butts out here. It's going to be an amazing night. We're celebrating the end of our first year and gearing up for the start of our second year of the show. Familiar folks featured in the first year's episodes will be in attendance. It'll be at Pioneer Farms, which is a vast historical site with haunts of its very own. So be sure to come and get in the spirit of Halloween with some live ghost stories, a big campfire, music, tarot card readings, and a beautiful country setting like none other. Tickets are on sale now at storybaratx.com, or you can get a link to tickets directly on our website, thenightowlpodcast.com. If you're in the Austin area and have a personal ghost story that would be great for this live event, please email me now at thenightowlpodcast at gmail.com. But hurry, the deadline to submit your story for consideration is September 24th by end of day. So just shoot me an email and I'll reach out to you and hear your story. If we select you as one of our storytellers, you'll not only be featured on the Night Owl Podcast, you're going to get some cool swag from us too. If you have a cool story, but you can't make the deadline, it's okay. We still want to consider your story for one of our campfire episodes. So be sure to email us at thenightowlpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to the Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you, right here. If you have a story to tell, please send an email to thenightowlpodcast at gmail.com. In our final episode of this season, I'm taking you listeners back to where this incredible journey all began at an unassuming tattoo shop on the Spider House grounds in Austin, Texas. In episode one, Sarah and I pursued the story of Ray and the many unexplained experiences he and his artists had had at Royal Legion Tattoo. By now, you probably know the story of Christine and how she lured Sarah up into the shop to get her message across to Ray and his team. But what you don't know is that there were other spirits on the Spider House grounds that Sarah had also encountered that very same night. Spirits who wanted to be seen but whose stories were hazy and unclear during our first visit. Now, I'm thrilled to guide you through one of the most interesting stories that developed over the course of the entire year, centering around the many spirits that haunt the Spider House grounds, one of whom we call the Man with the Box. Throughout this year-long journey, we uncovered new fascinating stories, 
met with past employees who had personal experiences of their own, and discover something new that leads us to believe something other than Christine may have been responsible for some of the reports at Royal Legion Tattoo. Stay tuned. If you're new to the show, a quick note. This podcast is best devoured in chronological order, so if this is the first episode you're trying out, stop. Go back and start with our very first episode, Ink, Coffee, and Spirits. This episode in particular ties directly to that episode, so if nothing else, you must at least listen to episode one before this one. Otherwise, you will be lost. I really can't think of a better way to wrap up season one than sharing the story I'm about to share with you. In a very serendipitous way, we've come full circle, back to the place where this show all began, the Spider House Cafe. If you can recall, I had no idea I wanted to create this podcast, but got a sudden urge to take a recorder and visit the Spider House after reading an article in Austin 360 detailing paranormal activities centered around this favorite little coffee shop of mine. As you know from episode one, Events transpired shortly after this that led to the formation of this podcast and the model that my future episodes would follow. So, suffice it to say, I feel I'm right back where I should be at the close of this first season. The story is not going to follow the formula you're used to. That's simply because this story did not unfold in the typical way that my others did. As you're familiar with, my episodes usually consist of me going to a place that has numerous reports of supernatural phenomena or paranormal experiences. I interview those who've had these encounters. Then I involve my team and clairvoyant friend Sarah and dive into research to try to validate any of these experiences. Well, in this episode, things didn't even remotely happen this way. To recap a bit from episode one, I went there initially to try to get stories from the Spider House staff, but instead was directed to Royal Legion Tattoo, where episode one story unfolded. There weren't any staff at the Spider House who had any experiences to share, so I simply dropped that case and pursued the tattoo shop instead. I involved Sarah, and the rest is history. You know all that you know from episode one about how things transpired with the entity haunting the tattoo shop, the name Sarah got, and how it actually matched the history records, and the activity reported directly relating to the messages the spirit was trying to get across to Ray and his staff. It was a powerful story that truly is the reason this show went the direction that it did, but what I've not told you, or anyone else, is that there's more to this story that no one's ever heard before. Things that I could not include in episode one because there were too many missing pieces. Well now, I want to take you back to the day Sarah came to the Spider House and reveal to you the things that happened that I had to cut out of episode one. Things that would actually later come back to haunt us and lead us to one of the most interesting discoveries of this entire season. This story is going to have three parts and I want to help set up the way that this is all going to unfold. First, I'm going to share with you the other encounters that Sarah had the days that she came to the Spider House, and then I'll navigate you through the specific storyline involving a spirit that we will call the Man with the Box. Second, I'll share with you the stories I finally was able to gather surrounding the Spider House from past employees I was able to locate and interview. And lastly, we'll discover new pieces of evidence that lead us to a new discovery about the spirit in the tattoo shop, who we all now refer to as Christine. Through numerous return visits to the Spider House and Royal Legion Tattoo, Sarah gains more clarity on the spirits that haunt this truly fascinating property. Let's start by revisiting the night that Sarah came to this place. I'll do my best to navigate you through all the snippets of audio and how they culminate to the larger story that's going to unfold. One important update to make is, through various visits to Royal Legion Tattoo with Sarah, we've come to learn that Christina actually prefers to be called Christine. 
Sarah believed it to be a misinterpretation on her first visit. However, I found that this person connected to this property was listed as both Christine and Christina in various documents I found in the Austin History Center. So I'm not 100% sure if it was a nickname or something else, but her birth name does appear to be Christine. So following this clarification from the Spirit, we all refer to her as Christine now, and I just wanted you all to be aware of this because the name will come up quite often in this episode. It was September 7th of 2017 when Sarah came to meet me at the Spider House. She didn't know anything about the reported activity, but I'd picked a booth where she'd be facing the window of the tattoo shop. When she sat down shortly after arriving, she informed me that two entities visited her the night prior after our phone conversation about getting her involved in this case. Here's a snippet that I included in episode one about it. And sure enough, she pulls out a notebook and she starts showing me these two drawings of these two entities that visited her after our phone call. One of them's a man in a suit that I would say is from the late 1800s to early 1900s. And the other's of a woman with her hair pulled back in a bun. And she's wearing sort of a 1910, 1920s dress. Upon getting here and sitting in the booth, she was already seeing the male figure. He was kind of like, oh, you're here, great. Like, kind of like, here you are, let me bombard you with uh, with things. And I kind of brushed him off, gave him the, well, give me a minute, let me orientate myself. And then I saw her. Sarah was drawn to follow this female spirit connected to the tattoo shop. And as you already know, she pursued her. However, this male spirit was someone that continued to try to grab Sarah's attention throughout the night. He was coming in very clear to Sarah while we sat in the booth and he even got up right next to us to show Sarah a box he was carrying. Sarah couldn't tell what was in the box or why it was so important, but she kept bringing it up and seemed distracted by him. Another entity lurked around the grounds as well, one that Sarah did not like. She deemed it the screamer because it would come up right behind her and scream as loud as it could in her ears, startling her. I actually witnessed her having the jarring reaction to this several times that night. Then... I watched Sarah as she naturally started to push this man with the box and the screamer aside and directed her focus on the female spirit at the tattoo shop. As that story unfolded, you know that she went up to the shop and got bombarded with information, became overwhelmed and had to exit the shop and stand in the courtyard to recount all that was thrown at her. So she couldn't focus on what she wanted to tell me. There were so many things going on, like, I don't like this, and I don't want that, and, you know, here's my space, and I walked through here, and I'm looking out, and she wanted to give me everything all at once. So it was just a little overwhelming that I couldn't get a hold of it. After all this, Sarah needed to take about a 30-minute break and needed to use the bathroom as well. So Alexis and I sat in the courtyard beside the tattoo shop and waited for her. I was a little concerned about Sarah going to the Spider House bathroom alone, because I had heard of a very specific story about women getting touched or grabbed by an unseen force in there. When Sarah returned, we were surprised to hear what had just happened to her. And now I've got to filter out everything else, because now everyone knows that I can do that. All the other things, yeah. Now i got to filter and be like, I didn't come here for you. And I keep getting the the basement. Come here. That's the other thing we got to tackle. The box. The guy with the box. The box is in the basement. basement. The box is down there. Yeah, he met me at the bathroom. (laughs) He met me at the little entranceway to the basement. Like, right here. Because... But he's giving me that, like, okay, it's my my turn. I waited. It's my turn. I need to come over here. I need to find my box. 
Look, if you can describe the box a little bit too, I can even just ask the employees if they recognize that that's something down there too. And then if there is, then that means we should probably like it's plan a time great, to come. It's a great. She's, she's telling him no. That's all. Yeah. The one that you were talking to. She's telling him no. Nope, you're not gonna get. It's not your turn yet. Mm -hmm. It's not her turn. It's not his turn. So what we just heard was Sarah informing Alexis and I about an encounter she had just had with the man with the box inside the spider house. If you've never been, when you walk into the spider house, the bar is immediately on your right. If you push further past the bar, there's a narrow hallway that leads to a back room and eventually the women's restroom. In this hallway leading to the back room are two doors on your left. The first is the men's room. The second door opens up to a dark basement that we later learned served as the spider house office. Sarah had made her way into the spider house, was pushing her way through the hallway, and almost made the mistake of entering the basement doorway, believing it was the women's restroom. In this case, as she approached the dark doorway, the man with the box appeared suddenly and stood there with the box in his hands. He apparently gave Sarah the impression that his box was down in the cellar and that he wanted her to go and get it for him. He claimed for some reason he couldn't get to it anymore. Sarah just pushed on and went to the bathroom and left the man with the box on the basement stairway. When she was telling us about it in the courtyard and I pushed her for more info, Sarah began to try to get more information on this male spirit's box. That's when the female spirit, Christine, stepped in and told this male spirit and Sarah no, that this was her time and he needed to back off. So Sarah listened. She mentioned that we might need to come back and help this male spirit another time, but for now, we should move on and help this female spirit. So the rest of the night unfolded the way that you heard on episode one, but during her final recap, Sarah did talk a little more about the experiences with the man with the box, who you'll hear her refer to as the man in the vest. And so when I got up to the front and I saw you, everything seemed to be okay, but then all of a sudden it was like I was getting checked out. Like there was multiple things going, hey, you know, what? what's new? Let's walk in. They're kind of, but I think they're used to the people here. So they kind of check you out and pass by. But what stood out to me was the guy in the vest first. He was kind of like, oh, you're here. Great. Like kind of like, here you are. Let me bombard you with, with things. And I kind of brushed him off, gave him the, well, give me a minute. Let me orientate myself. And then I saw her uh, making my way uh, up, made a little pit stop, and I saw that man again, the one with the vest, and he's bothering me now. The one with the vest, he again was insisting, there's a box, he wants me to see a box, some kind of a box, and he was at the stairs of the basement. He actually met me, because I almost turned into the basement thinking that was the bathroom, and he kind of stopped me from, because the stairs look steep, so I guess he kind of stopped me from walking the wrong path, I wasn't paying attention, and was telling me down there, down there's my box, that box that I want you to look at, but he can't pass a certain point in the stairwell. So I thought, okay, well, we'll deal with that later. Let me go to the restroom. The night ended, as you can recall, from episode one. Sarah validated nearly all of the experiences that the tattoo shop staff had had and also verified many of the sightings of the woman in the window. She also got the name Christina, which we later confirmed was Christine. Following our case with Royal Legion Tattoo, we became really good friends with Ray, who eventually connected me with the Spider House's owner, Conrad. He was very nice and listened to our first episode and then allowed me to describe the strange situation with the man with the box in the basement. Conrad generously offered up the space to us to do a full investigation whenever we wanted. So I got Alexis and Sarah on the phone and we made a plan. It was Monday, October 9th, and Sarah, Alexis, and I sat on the balcony of the tattoo shop waiting for Conrad and Ray to arrive. While we waited, 
Sarah was excited to check in on Christine. So Christine is still liking her life, which is good. She's happy about the incense. It's not as much, but she's very happy that she can get her window back. I think that was the best. She's able to look out, and she's noting that Ray did move. So that's that's good. That's good since I can't go in there. I guess she knows that. She's trying to show me the tattooing tools and all of that good stuff. She says it's been quiet. All is well in the world of the tattoo world. So that's good. <laughs> so Okay, so now she's like wants to make sure that I come back every now and then and check on her, which I will. I will come back and check. Ask her if she says anything about the clock. Ray had a question about the clock. She said that's not me. That's not me. That's what she's saying. The phone. Something about the phone. Not me either. I'm seeing like piece, like shh, um, glass. She's, that's not me either. It's like mirror pieces or I don't know. That's all she's showing me. But she's saying that's not her. And I need to talk to Ray. And it's more of a just a concern, like a check, check in, check, uh, check in. Oh my God, this guy is going to scream at me this whole time. Kind of grateful she's keeping him at bay. He's down there. She's good. She's happy. She's happy overall. Just an overall check, I guess, on Ray. So what you just heard was a conversation that Sarah was having with the spirit of Christine on her first time back to the Spider House and the Royal Legion Tattoo Grounds. We're up on Royal Legion Tattoo's balcony, and it seemed like Christine wanted to get a lot of information across in a way to sort of clear her name of some of this activity that might have been believed to have been connected to her. If you recall from the first episode, there was activity that seemed to have a more negative impact on the staff some of which I didn't include in the episode itself. There was the glass falling out of the picture frames, the feeling of being followed home, a clock falling on a client's head, the shelves falling over, and then there was even a phone call that was mysteriously made to the shop. It was before Ray had owned the shop, but he had heard rumors of this phone call about the shop calling itself and then these strange voices being left on a voicemail. It seemed now that Christine was wanting us to know that these specific instances had nothing to do with her. I was curious about it, but I would have to come back to it, because in this moment, the spirit who we're calling the man with the box was now calling to Sarah at the bottom of the stairs. Oh, look, he's here. And it's, again, I need to get to that basement. So it's that one? Okay. Yeah. But he's really smart. He keeps his uh, distance. I guess maybe they've got, like, areas, that they like, no-no areas that they can't come into. Mm-hmm. So, like, here, Christine's like, no, this is my space. So she keeps them at bay. They're all waiting. And then those little loomers, I told you, I've got loomers in there. Yeah. But I'm not going to let that open up. But he's ready. He's, he's ready? like ready to go. But he's down there now? Yeah, he's down there waiting. He's waiting for me. So I'm getting a nice urgent request of let's get down to that basement. This guy's probably in his late 20s, early 30s. His dress is, I want to call it formal. It's not formal. It's kind of like, you know, somebody who kind of went out, like a business owner or... Maybe he went out to like a little get together and kind of like made a little extra effort, threw on a little vest, a dress shirt, some dress pants, and a, it's either a watch or I don't know, something. It's like a pocket watch almost. It looks like when they used to put the pocket watches, attach them to their pants. Uh, and he's got this hair fascination, which is really cool facial hair. Um, but he wants in the basement. He wants me to get down there like right now. This box thing is going to drive me nuts until I figure out what's in the box. It's just fine. Like, it's just a box. Like, I'm getting images of boxes. Boxes, boxes, boxes everywhere. So, I'm not quite sure. I feel like it's tied to that watch somehow. Because I'm getting clocks and boxes. And I was getting that earlier today. It's like he's been super excited. Like, yes, you're coming now. You're going to deal with me. And 
it's not urgency, but it's it's excitement. It's more like, yeah, hey, come down. The this particular difference. person, I've seen him. Um, initially, when I started talking to you about coming to Spider House, he was one of the first of two that decided to want to reach out. And then the second time we were when we were here at Spider House, he was making it known, I'm here. And that's when he kind of told me about that box. Like there's a box that he's looking for or a box that I need to look for or something. But then since then, since we've been here the last time, he's been periodically coming just to reinforce that you are going back. You are going to go go over here and look, right? You're going to come here um, because he was in the doorway of the basement uh, inside Spider House. So when I went to the bathroom, he kind of like met me at that doorway. So I think he just really wants me down there to look at this stuff. I've never had something travel with me like this as much as this guy has. I've got another little attention seeker that I'm going to ignore for the moment. And Oh, look, almost a partial name. I got a letter. I got a P. We took a short break, and while the recorder was off, Sarah mentioned that the other lurker was the screamer she had a bad experience with on her first visit, and that the letter P was connected to the man with the box. The name quickly came to her, and it was Patrick. Before we knew it, we were being led downstairs into the basement by Conrad and a few other staff members. Sarah was quickly drawn to the farthest wall away from the stairs, and immediately knew Patrick wanted someone to get on the other side of this wall. We didn't know this at the time, but Conrad informed us that there was actually a crawl space just on the other side of this wall that Sarah was referring to, and that someone could access it from outside of the house. A staff member who also appears to be a handyman at Spider House, Roy, kindly offered to go around and climb in while we stayed on the other side of the wall, peering through a small open panel from the basement. Roy began to call out what he was seeing while Sarah tried her best to guide him with what Patrick was telling her. She was positive that the box or this watch she kept seeing was there under the crawl space under the spider house. One of y'all can come look if you want. I mean, it's like, you got this wall and then there's some plywood. There's a, somebody's bag. A bag? Yeah. What's it? Could you see what's in the bag? It doesn't look like anything. Nothing? No, I'll, I'll put it right outside the hole. Okay. But if one of y'all comes around here, you'll see what I'm talking okay. about. Okay. Um, I'll make my way around there. Just go out the front door and take a ride. Okay, thank you. You're gonna, you want to stay with her here and you want to come over to the camera? Here, would y'all keep this rolling down here with... So now I've found myself preparing to crawl into a dark, unfamiliar crawl space directly on the opposite side of this basement wall. I was going to join Roy under the spider house to try to look for this box or watch the spirit of Patrick was dying for us to find. Sarah was reporting he was extremely eager for us to find it. Sarah and Alexis remained in the basement looking through the removed panel of sheetrock that Conrad had taken down for us. The crawl space was ground level so it was really hard to see up through the panel without a stepladder down in the basement, but they were doing their best to try to see us and guide us based on Patrick's notes. I didn't know if I was just really devoted to this show or just playing crazy, but... When I made my way around the spider house exterior and found the tiny door running along the skirt of the house, I realized I must be crazy. Our buddy Franklin had arrived and I got him to start recording video as I squeezed my way through the tiny square hinged door into the dark underbelly of the spider house. Sarah had my recorder so I'll have to describe what happened. Upon entering the crawl space, there was a large oriental rug that looked like a makeshift bed of sorts. Random items were laid out around the rug. Gloves, an old shirt, a backpack, kitchen knife, and random bins of Tupperware. It was dark under there, and huge. Roy had crawled so far back under the spider else that I couldn't even see him from where I was. I could hear him, though. 
I could only sit or crawl with my head down really low while I was in there. I moved away from the comforting light of the small doorway I came through and pushed my way past this odd rug area and toward Roy, who was rustling around in more bins looking for anything that resembled a wooden box or an old watch or timepiece. He had a small dim flashlight on him. I pulled out my phone and began to use it as a light source to rummage through the things that were laying near me. They all appeared to be insignificant, though. Okay, Patrick. We've got everybody crawling in here. You need to tell me what this is This is for. Stolen. It's almost like they stole it. Stole something. Stole time. Stole clocks. King's over there now. He's not in here anymore. They did They did something. I don't know what they just did. What'd you do? Hey, Steven. What did you... What happened? I couldn't hear Sarah and Alexis's conversation in the basement, but I did hear them yell out to me in this moment, and I recall clearly where I was when they did this. I hadn't found anything near the rug, so I had crawled further into the crawl space and had come to a stop near a large concrete foundation pillar. Above my head were a bunch of crossbeams of wood that I was now shining my light up into, looking for hidden spaces or compartments that a watch or something might have been hidden in. He's over there now. He's over there over there with you. Apparently, in this moment, as I sat by this concrete beam, Patrick left Sarah and Alexis and was now sitting right beside me in the crawl space. Sarah could actually see him by me, eagerly wanting me to find whatever it is he had lost. Patrick has poor luck losing his watch and now trying to communicate with someone like me who feels nothing when it comes to the paranormal. But I kept looking. I wanted to find it, whatever it was. Did something move or something change? Okay. Maybe you're getting closer. It sounds much larger than I thought to be a crawl space. He was like, there's a room I can walk through. I should have been able to walk through to get it. Like, this wasn't here. Yeah. So that's when he said crawl space. I was like, that's too small. I'm thinking, like, it's a room, like a big space. No, he's not in here. He's in there with you. Okay, Patrick, you've got people, like, going through stuff. Stephen, can we go around? Should we go around? Sarah and Alexis came around to the side of the spider house where the entrance to the crawl space was and looked in to get a better view of where I was by this concrete beam. It's literally, like, right... He's right there. Like, he's right there next to you, Steven. It's like a... It's like a hole or like a crack. Like a crack in the floor. Hey, Steven, see if there's, like, a crack in the floor or something underneath? Like, it's under. Right where, like, he is literally right where you are. Just, it's either a watch or a clock or something to do with time. Sarah was saying she felt it was somehow under the main floor that was above my head. I just wanted to be clear that there was no floor under me, it was just dirt. So where I was looking with my flashlight was where we kept thinking it would be, but sadly there was nothing. Roy helped me check all the beams in the back of the crawl space as well, but nothing turned up. We were under there for approximately 30 to 40 minutes, and we're now making our way back out, feeling like we'd really tried but ultimately failed at finding this mysterious watch or box. As I was crawling out first, my right hand landed on top of the oriental rug, and Sarah suddenly called out. Your hand is on the spot, sir. Right there. It's going to be buried. Is this the right spot? Yes. Roy didn't hesitate. He lifted the rug, and we looked underneath, but found nothing again. Without prompting, Roy grabbed a broken piece of a broom handle of some sort that was laying near us, and he started digging. I could see now that he was clearly invested in this, too. I will freak out if a hand comes out, okay? I'm just going to say it right now. Something weird like that happens. It might be just buried underneath and we can't get to it. Stolen. They stole it from him. It's in there. Whatever it is, 
gotten stolen. He wants it back. Great determination to get it back. But it means something. And I keep getting, it's like time, or it's a clock, or it's a watch. Who's, who stole it from you? With Roy's help, we were able to dig nearly three feet down under the rug. But to our disappointment, we turned up nothing. All right, convince him to come out. He's just happy that they know that he know where it's at. Now it's just a question of how deep down is that sucker? And what is it? We had to wrap things up, and I knew that this didn't have the closure we needed for a show, so I was definitely disappointed. However, this story will continue, but it wouldn't be for many months down the line until something connected to this case fell into my lap and brought this story back to life for the show. So stay with us until I reveal this later in the episode. But meanwhile, after we had to wrap up this investigation, Ray and his team had arrived and opened up shop. So before leaving the grounds, Sarah wanted to pop in and say hi and provide them with some updates from Christine. She actually hadn't seen the guys since her first visit. Oh, you gave her her view back. She's super happy. This is the vantage point right here. This is it. (laughs) She can see it all from here and she can keep an eye on you. That's super cool. It feels great in here. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It feels awesome. Cool. Oh, she's super happy. She's super happy about this window. That's cool. Oh, good. Yeah, super, he's, super he's been keeping it unblocked. Yeah, when we came up earlier, she was standing up and they're like, hey. <laughs> really? Uh, I guess Christine's just more, she keeps telling me to circle back with you, to kind of touch base with you. The phone thing's not her. The clock right. thing, that's not her. Oh, the clock thing wasn't her. Okay. No, okay. she's very good. She's like, no, that's not me. <laughs> and um, I'm seeing like, um, Gla- uh, at first I thought it was water, but it's not. It's like glass pieces, glass right. everywhere. That's not her. Oh, okay. She's saying that's not me, but okay. she keeps telling me to circle back with you, like keep coming back with you. Okay. Um, so I'm not sure if you've gotten other activity going on or something else is going on in your lives right now. But she's just con- so concerned. It's kind of like just circle back, touch base with them. She loves the changes. Okay. Loves the changes. She still complained about the incense, but it's not that bad. That's what she's giving yeah. me. The well, I kind of hit it. It's too. still bothering me, but it's not that bad. And she <laughs> says it's quiet, more quiet. So I don't know what that. It's qu- just quiet. That's all she says. It's quieter. Uh, she's very happy about the window. Very, very happy okay. about. Like you have no idea how happy okay. she is about the window. <laughs> she's very happy you moved. Okay. Very happy you moved because now she can see you. She's getting that. Like I can see you. I can watch you. I can, like I can. Watch over you. I can look at you. As I had some time up on the balcony of Royal Legion Tattoo to ponder everything that we'd experienced with Patrick and this missing watch, I started to recall something that Ray had mentioned to me after our first night with Sarah here. When I told him about the basement incident and the man with the box meeting Sarah by the basement stairway, Ray had mentioned to me that there was a man who used to live under the spider house for many years, and he carried around a box that was very dear to him. You could hardly ever see him without it. Now my first thought was, was this man still alive? Could he have possibly passed away? Is this man's spirit now roaming the grounds of the spider house searching for his missing box? Well, Ray shot this theory down immediately, informing me that he'd actually just seen the guy a few days ago. He was sort of a wanderer, a free spirit, without a home. And Conrad, the owner of the spider house, was kind enough to give him space to live there under the cafe for many years. At first... I thought Ray had meant he was living in the basement, but come to find out, he lived in the crawl space, 
the place that I had just spent the last hour searching and digging for this lost watch. So I asked Ray to tell me more about him. Working up here in the tattoo shop a couple of years ago, there had been a, a gentleman that lived underneath Spider House in that area where Patrick was, uh, was pointing to. We'll call him Hunter. He lived there, he lived underneath there. That's where he would sleep. And he would kind of do odd jobs around the grounds. Kind of a groundskeeper, kind of a, just a, a personality. But he really liked to take found knickknacks and things and kind of put them on a box that he had, which then grew into a, uh, like a case that he would uh, attach things that he found. And then Hunter disappeared. Um, I would see him around um, in my neighborhood on the east side. So Hunter was no longer on the grounds. He hadn't been here in years. But something about what Sarah had said while we were searching down in the crawl space now clicked with all this new information that Ray was sharing with me. Stolen. They stole it from him. It's in there. Whatever it is, it was stolen. He wants it back. Great determination to get it back. I asked Sarah to show me her drawings she had done during our investigation. She had drawn a man laying down in the crawl space, stretched out across the oriental rug. This was where Hunter used to sleep, and where Sarah yelled out when my hand landed on the rug on my way out of the crawl space. But what I was looking at now on Sarah's drawing, written in dark pencil scratchings above this drawing of the person, was the word stolen. It's a stretch, but I wondered if Sarah was getting images from Patrick that were trying to tell us that Hunter took the watch. Sarah could never get a clear image of the box to confirm it matched what Ray recalled Hunter's box to look like. There was just so much of this story hanging in the air, and we were just going to have to wait and see if more information turned up. Ray believed Hunter now resided somewhere in his neighborhood on the east side, because he saw him frequently on the streets and at coffee shops in the neighborhood. So I asked Ray to reach out to me if he ever saw him and could possibly arrange a meeting. It honestly was the only lead I had on this case. So I just had Sarah recap everything that went down today. Just this guy downstairs, like he's still looming around, but I think he's pretty happy that we've, at least we know where his box is. But he was very spot on. Like as soon as I made my way down the basement, he was like, come here, come here, follow me right now. Went straight to where I guess used to be maybe an open path. I don't know. Uh, so I, it kind of was a little disheartening when they came and just kind of pulled back that little board. And I was like, seriously, this needs to be something much bigger. It's like nobody can fit through there to see if there's a, a box back there. So I was glad they, that we were able to figure out how to get around and get into that really, really big crawl space. So I don't know what this, I mean, the cl- clock is a good symbol or that he's giving me. So either there's a clock inside that box or a watch or something that means a lot to him and that... Uh, in that box and wants it to be found or at least wants the story to be told that it was stolen from him. It was taken. Uh, But Patrick is the name that I got uh, for him, which was very clear when I started making my way down the basement. He was like, this is my name. My name is Patrick. I wish we had found something, but I know he's happy that at least somebody knows and maybe people will start looking. Patrick is an interesting entity. He's very persistent. Now he's just kind of like looming a little happy, like, all right, you know where everything's at. I kept asking him, I don't know, I mean, to show me where it was or what the significance was and I didn't really get an answer other than just find it. So we found the box. No. Found the clock. Maybe. Maybe later it'll come out. It's interesting to see the connection though that um, that person under the 
floorboards used to be somebody that used to live here and collect stuff, so that's kind of cool. When Patrick does appear to me, he's, he's uh, usually very well-dressed, um, almost seems like he was like going to a party or uh, maybe he was a business owner, you know, very well. He's got this thing about the hair, like his hair's got to be perfect, I guess, um, but always in like this really cool vest, dress pants, and it's almost like he has like a chain for like a pocket watch on his pants, but I can only see the chain. I kept asking him like, what's the significance? What's the piece? And it was just a clock and the initials, like an initial P and an initial S. I'm leaning to the name Sylvia, but that might be just totally off. Uh, so there's something on that clock that has those initials on it. So you'll know that it belongs to him when you see it. Like there's an identifying marker. He was trying to tell me that out of all the stuff in the box, because there's more things in there, that is the most important thing to him. I'm curious to see what's actually in the box and if it really does have all those initials on there, those markers. So he's insistent right now. He's a little quiet, which is good. I think he's happy that we at least have an area to look for, but I just want to know, like, I feel like I need to close something or close a loop and it's just not there yet. And outside, and you can see like, you know, I call, her, call them the wanderers and meanderers. There's like little... I can't best describe it as like just kind of like shadows just kind of walking back and forth meandering in the same little space. I've only seen those things in cemeteries or family cemeteries, things like that. Um, So I'm curious to see if it was like some kind of a burial space or a cemetery that was kind of built up on top of. It's just so much activity here. It's crazy. I asked Sarah if she got any impression of what employees or patrons would experience if they were in the spider house. So he has. He has tried to reach out to several people. Uh, it sounds like a couple of you that work here. He's done knocking. Because being in the basement, there was a lot of different types of activity. Because I wasn't really paying attention. I was just kind of letting, uh, concentrating on Patrick. But there's like a lot of knocking, hearing things like drop or fall or break. But then you look and there's nothing there. Um, that's just them kind of messing with the people that are there. It's not really for attention. I think it's just out of boredom. They want to do something, so they they mess with the employees or they mess with the clientele. As time went by, present and past employees of the Spider House started to come forth with their stories finally. Not a lot at once, just little by little, every couple of months or so. So I gathered all I could, hoping maybe their accounts might lead to more clues. First off, I had the privilege of sitting down with the founder and owner of the Spider House, Conrad Bejerano. Over the years and stuff, I would constantly kind of hear different kind of stories. One of the ones that people were pretty adamant over the years with different employees was a woman's restroom, was that when they would go in there after they close, is that they would hear breathing behind the neck or somebody like fondling uh, their hair. And I heard this over and over through the years and stuff. Is like girls would just say, I'm not going to go in the restroom after, you know, after we closed and stuff. And it would be like years later or something, I'd hear the same, you know, sort of comment from different, you know, girls and stuff. And it's like, oh, that's pretty interesting. The only thing I have personally experienced down in the basement was we know that there's all the doors are locked. There's clearly, you know, scuffling and walking above. And you'd come up because you're just unsure of yourself, even though you know there's no one up there. And the lights would be on and the chairs would be moved around or like stacked up. And it's like, oh, that's weird. And then so you turn off the lights and set them back down. And then you hear scuffling up again. <laughs> and you know, it's like, okay. And it's like, and after years of that, you just says like, okay, whatever. It's just the spirit just kind of rumbling about. 
My name is Meg Houston. Oh, I started frequenting the Spider House probably, I guess it was like 2011. And then I started working there shortly after until the end of 2013. I've been going there on and off since then, so for the past seven years. I had always closed the Spider House. I was usually one of the last people there. Usually we were all gone by about 3 a.m. No one was trying to stay later than that. But this one particular night, at the end of the night, it was me and my manager, Dustin, at the time. And it was probably like 3.30 at this point. It was a lot later than we were usually there. So I was outside, just finished closing everything up. And I came in, and through the back door, there's like a little, uh, it used to be the kitchen back there, but now it's like the place where they clean dishes. I came through and decided to turn the Christmas lights off inside, and the music it was getting late, and I was tired. So I turned everything off, went downstairs to the basement, downstairs, hanging out with Dustin, and then I realized, like, I gotta go pee. So drop everything off, I run back upstairs, and I open the door, and all of the Christmas lights are on and all the music is on. It's like blasting full force. It was this really balmy summer night and it felt really cold for some reason, but I kind of dismissed it. So I walked to the bathroom. Uh, the women's bathroom is kind of like in the back. You have to walk through this other room to get there. And I stop because I hear this, what sounds like boots walking from the front door and it's this very slow like methodical tap that's walking towards the bathroom and the manager I was working with at the time Dustin he always wore cowboy boots but he had this very distinct shuffle and it didn't sound like Dustin and so even then I was I think I was just trying to put it out of my head and not feel super spooked but the bathroom became like freezing cold I couldn't see anything change, but I suddenly felt this immense sadness. Like this, this really intense feeling of, it was almost like I was having thoughts of killing myself and this really, these really dark feelings. And I'm not someone that really ever has those kind of feelings. Um, and I started crying and just feeling really, really, really sad. And after a minute, I realized that everything I was feeling was not me. I really felt like it was someone else. And I verbally expressed that. I said, look, I feel like this is not me right now. And I want to recognize that I feel, whoever this is, I feel that you left this earth in a really sad way. And I'm really sorry for that, but you need to give me space. And it was like the minute that I expressed that, it kind of dissipated. I was kind of shaken up and I walked back out. The lights were still on, full blast, and ran downstairs. <laughs> and Dustin was down there and he was like, looked at me and he's like, are you okay? Like, it, what, what happened up there? And um, I started telling him a little bit about what I heard and what I felt. And before I even explained everything, he asked if I had heard like a boot step. And I was like, yes, I did. And he said that, Every night he was there alone, he, the first few nights he was there alone, he would hear this, like someone was walking right above him. Said he even broke a bottle once and like ran up there to like see if someone had broken in, but it was just this sound that he had gotten used to. That's where I heard the boots, was from like where the bar, where the bar starts in that hallway. Cause it's like the male restroom and the basement, and then you walk past and there's a little room in the women's restroom. 
And that was like, I went in the women's restroom and that's where I heard the boots was right through that hallway. And that's exactly where underneath Dustin and all the other managers would sit and he would hear that same footstep pattern. It was almost like this pacing. So Meg was reporting hearing footsteps as a common report amongst closing staff at the Spider House. They were often heard pacing in the hallway just above the basement. Now this is exactly where Patrick had startled Sarah the night she went to the bathroom during our first investigation of Royal Legion Tattoo. I found this bit of information interesting, but there was more. So the two of us were pretty ready to get out of there at that point. Um, We walked back upstairs and I had left at that point the lights on and the music blaring and everything was pitch black, turned off. So we pretty much like scooted out of there and I've always felt like I was never really alone there, but that was the only time that I truly felt in my whole life that I kind of felt like overtaken by something. That sound and like when I was in the bathroom, that feeling that that was there, it felt like two separate things. I don't really know how to like put my finger on it. Like it, there was just kind of this masculine feeling around like that, that front part of the building. But in that back area, it definitely felt like a woman, like a young woman. Like at the time I was probably like 24 and she felt probably around my age. I've heard stories of people who overdosed at Spider House and other things that have happened. I'm not one to really like, I feel pretty protected in those areas. I feel like I take the right precautions, um, but I felt like she was trying to communicate her sadness to me. And it definitely feels like, like I said, like a vortex. I feel like she was stuck. Up until now, I'd only heard stories about women experiencing things in the women's bathroom at the Spider House. Now, hearing Meg validate these claims was quite refreshing. I was thinking we might need to bring Sarah back once more now that we'd given Patrick his time with her. Maybe she could pick up more. But before parting ways with Meg, I needed to ask her if she knew of anyone living under the Spider House during her time there. Oh, okay. Well, there were two men that used to live there. Okay. Um, what was his name? Well, the first guy I'm thinking of is Soda Pop. Okay, Soda Pop came around a lot. He called me Megatron. The other was this guy named Hunter. And Hunter, I believe... I don't know his relationship to Conrad, but I think Conrad just kind of has a bleeding heart for people, especially like starving artist type. But Hunter lived under the house, and he would collect kind of like trash and other things and create sculptures. As a server, he was kind of intense at times because he he would treat you like you were a guest in his house I mean because you basically were yeah that's kind of what I meant by like it is haunted by the living too there are people that just come there and they just stay and they can't seem to leave Hunter was there for many years I think before my time at Spider House and then when I was there he was actually that was his second time living there my name is Robert Baldwin I've worked at Spider House for just about eight years. It's a long time. I'm pretty much always been the, the the morning opener. So I'm here a lot by myself in the morning. So and I've kind of like, you know, learned to deal with um, the old house. It makes noises, you know, and things are creepy regardless. And a lot of times it's weird when I'm here by myself in the morning, it always kind of feels like someone's around in certain spots. And I've noticed the spots that kind of like 
give me the creeps a little more. Uh, the basement is always kind of a thing. Uh, the women's restroom, there's always been stories of girls having their hair touched and stuff and no one being there. So anytime I go in there to check on it, there always seems like there's something going on. There's a shelf behind the bar that we added in way later. Uh, Jay, one of the other managers here, um, he brought about, I'd say there's about 20 bottles up there, little the little liquor bottles like uh, like you would get on an airplane. I can't think of what you call this. And Jay brought them in because, you know, they're old. They look like they would fit the aesthetic of Spider House. So we put them all on the shelf. I would come in and I would be setting up and I'd be on the other side of the bar all the way on the other side of the room and I would hear a bang. And I would see the bottle laying on the bar. And the first day I was like, wow, how could, how could that have gotten all the way over there? What could have vibrated the wall enough to make that fall out? So I didn't think much of it, but then it continuously happens every morning. Not at a specific time, but it's consistently happened every day. At least one bottle falls. So my name is Sarah. Um, I'm a former manager over at Spider House. Um, between 2010 and 2015, I used to work there. Um, I always heard a bunch of ghost stories, and I'm super skeptical, so I pretty much chalked up any noise to air conditioning, people outside, people on the street. But there's been so many times where I have been there by myself at the end of the night in the office, which is located in the basement by myself, and I've, I've heard footsteps upstairs doors opening and closing and, you know, ran up the stairs to double check if I locked a door, if I left something open, maybe there's people in there. And, you know, every time all the doors were locked and there was no one in there at all. You know, I just told myself it was animals in the walls or something. It's an old house. Um, I told myself that so I wouldn't get freaked out. (laughs) Um, It was definitely apparent that someone was either stomping or wearing boots because it was really loud. It wasn't like, you know, someone just walking up there. It was really loud. Like they were letting us know that they were up there kind of thing. So um, the bathroom is super weird. The women's room, there's been so many times where I've been in there and just got a really super weird, creepy feeling in the bathroom. I would leave you know, walk out of the bathroom, walk down to the basement, and I would hear their rolling doors. I would hear the doors roll open or the doors roll closed, and I would run back up to check again, thinking that there was someone in there when there was no one in there. My name is Mark. I started at Spider House about four and a half years ago. I always knew there was a lot of history around this place. I didn't really quite understand what that history entailed until I started here, and uh, it's a very old house. And when you're here late at night and there's nobody else around uh, and you're tired and you want to go to bed, and it can be hard to distinguish between um, what's real and what's just delusion. Here again, late one night, there was one other person here with me, another one of my servers, and we're in the office and we're talking and I'm done with everything and we're just kind of bullshitting. And we just start hearing all these glasses fall, about three of them. One, two, ding, ding, ding. So this about 10 minutes to figure out what the sound was. Because all the doors were locked, lights were off, everything was going except for the alarm being set. I was looking around behind the bar, and there's this shelf that we have. There's three shelves. In the middle shelf, we have this old school radio, 1930s. And there's these old mini bottles of liquor. They hold, you know, two ounces, maybe. Three of them were on the ground. I remember when I found them, I picked them up, and I kind of just, as a show, this isn't 
what we heard. Um, and so I put it back on the shelf. We looked around some more. And finally, after I couldn't distinguish what the sound was, I was like, well, I found these bottles in the floor. It's like, I want to see something. So I knocked off the shelf. Same exact sound. Ding, ding, ding. I'm convinced that that's the sound I heard was those bottles falling off the shelf. There were three of them on the floor. That area, I mean, if they were on the floor before, somebody would have put them back. I know they weren't on the floor before we went up there. I just, I have no explanation for that. And again, it's hard to chalk up feelings to um, something concrete, you know, whether that, when it comes to stuff like this, whether that's, you know, your mind playing tricks on you and you just got the EPGDs or whether that's, you know, there's actually a presence in the room. And I'm open to the possibility of that. Okay, we're in the spider house in Austin. Oh, don't push. It's early morning. I'm not I gotta pushing. let my coffee kick in. I'm just got I just got the mic rolling, I'm not pushing. <laughs> I'm very chill. This is the quietest I've ever seen this place. I know. I know. It's a little unnerving sometimes. Okay. Several months had passed and I had heard from various staff about the reports of footsteps on the first floor, the women's bathroom, and various things falling off of shelves. But overall, reports were very minimum here. However, I still wanted to bring Sarah back when it was quiet. This time, we got up really early to see what might come to Sarah when there were no patrons in the building. Sarah quickly picked up on Patrick, still looking for his watch. I asked her to put him aside and try to see if any other spirits would come to her on this visit. She immediately started looking down the hall and back towards the women's bathroom. She keeps moving around. But this is the girl that's... This is like you better to talk to. She, it piqued her curiosity and then she just kind of left. It's very quiet in here. It's just Patrick kind of, hey, what's chickens? I guess he knows there's not supposed to be that many people in here. That's it. If I can get her to come back. Tell her in the bathroom. Sarah was seeing a female spirit pacing in and out of the women's bathroom. She had come out to peer at my wife, who was taking photographs of us during this investigation. Then the spirit darted back into the bathroom. So at this time, I asked my wife to go into the bathroom just to see what might happen. Nope. I'm trying to remember what she looked like, but I, I can't. It's like a, like when you see something real quick off the, off the, out of the corner of your eye. Oh. Hey, Tao, go stand over there by the door. Right there, where you were taking pictures. Right there, right there, right there. Sarah was seeing the spirit again, and she seemed to be fascinated with my wife. So we put my wife in the hallway where the spirit seemed to be drawing toward. She is. She didn't ignore me. Okay, I'm sorry. That's fine. I kind of have an idea. She, she just kind of picks over to see what Tao is doing. It's just really funny. It's funny to see. She kind of, every time Tal goes to that spot right there, she'll come from the bathroom and kind of just stand right there to look to see what she's doing. But it's like a little, like a, I can't describe it, like a mirage is what she looks like. Like she'll come in and then she'll just kind of go away. And I can't see her all completely. And then she disappears back in, back, like you're going towards the bathroom to the backspace. Does it look like she's from any type of, is she older, like older time period, or? She's dressed up like, like you would be if you're in like the 20s or the late, or the early 30s. 
Because the dress is like one of those, it's not um, solid at the bottom, it's, it comes to different points. Mm. Almost like a flapper type style. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell if that what she's wearing is either a hat or it's her hair that's up in that thing. I can't tell. I can't tell, but she's not staying long enough for me to actually get a good look. She's not even in here now. Anything else? She's coming a little more clear. She got her back to you? Yeah. So this woman up here is Sandra. Sandra. I hope I'm saying that right because she says... I say see Sandra, but she's very adamant that it's Son Sandra. So she's like in her twenties, twenty-three, twenty-four, somewhere. She's kind of young. She does have that um, kind of like flapper look to her, but I don't know if it's really that era or if it's something she was wearing when she passed, like a costume, maybe. So I can't tell, and she's never giving her face. But anyway, so she's giving me like pictures of types of jewelry that maybe you would see in a picture so maybe if there's pictures of her she's wearing those items almost like this is my identifier on uh, my identity I mean, she's giving me very like this is my identity this is why this is how you would know it's me uh, pictures but she won't answer a lot of questions and she's it's she sounds like maybe yesterday they had a lot of must have had like a lot of people in here she sounds like they're kind of like she's kind of like dwindling down a little bit like all her energy was expelled so she's coming in and out. Um, that's all I've got. I've got her name. I tried to ask her, how did you die? And she really didn't give me a good response. And then did you get any sense of like her, her hair color just out of curiosity? It's black, like just dark black and she's braided. With the woman, is there any activity that you feel is centered around her? She just likes to enjoy, I guess, the people who go back there or watch the women do their makeup, floof, gossip. She just kind of floats around back there. But she was very clear about her identifiers, which is kind of one of those things. That's why I was curious to ask her, how did she die? It's almost like uh, when somebody's trying to tell you specifically who they are, it's like they want you to either find them or look for them or that kind of stuff. But I need more information. And right now she's just kind of like, no, not this. I'm not going to deal with you. I'm just going to give you this much. I'm going to go kind of like this man just kind of went. I've heard a ton of rumors about a woman actually like passing away in the back bathroom or something happening in the back bathroom area of the spider house. And since you're the owner of the shop and you have the most history there, I wanted to ask if there's any validity to that story, if it's all just rumors. No, that it actually is it's true. It's about 15, 12, 15 years ago, there was this uh, young lady in her early 20s that uh, had passed away. And then with Sarah going there, she, she was getting some specific details about hair color. She mentioned that the way she was dressed was almost like flapper-esque, like from the 20s or 30s, but she said that it looked like it could be a costume or maybe something she was just dressed that way in modern times. She was, um, she was definitely a uh, classic sort of hipster. So she was, going back through your memory, she was kind of dressed very eccentric. And then as far as hair color goes, she got a certain hair color. And I was curious about if you recall what kind of hair color she had. Uh, she definitely had dark hair, black hair. Black hair, you said? Yeah, that okay. I do remember. There just isn't enough evidence to say with any certainty that this is the spirit that Sarah was picking up on. But it was interesting to discover that the information Sarah got actually lined up with some of the things that Conrad recalled from the tragic night this young woman passed away at the Spider House. 
Both Conrad and I agreed that we wanted to keep any further details of her passing private out of respect for her and her family. So as you probably have deciphered by now, the Spider House is full of unique individuals, strange happenings, and vibrant energy. However, this case wasn't an easy one for me to piece together for this show. There wasn't a lot more in the history records that I could find that tied any of the new names that Sarah had gotten, Patrick or Sandra, to really anything in history that tied to this place. But just when I thought I was going to shelve this case for good, and that I might not be able to share it with you, something quite astonishing happened. It was Wednesday, April 11th. It was a normal day for me. I had to work from 9 to 5 and was going to hit the gym and then go home for the rest of the evening, as usual. However, on this day, I'd been chatting via text with Ray from Royal Legion Tattoo. We were working on a tattoo design for me, and it seemed like this afternoon was going to be a great day to meet up at a coffee shop to talk about the design. So we made plans for when I got off of work to meet up at another local coffee shop on the east side of town. I got there before Ray and had all my notes and images I was going to share with him for my tattoo design. Ray arrived shortly and we caught up and chatted about how things were at his shop. Then we dove into talking about my tattoo idea. It was only minutes into this conversation that I see Ray look up and watch a gentleman pass behind me and enter the bathrooms. Ray had an odd look on his face, so I asked him, What's up? Ray looked at me and responded, You're not going to believe who just walked into that bathroom. I tilted my head, curious. The name that rolled off of Ray's lips just then blew my mind. He said, That was Hunter. The man that I'd hoped of having a conversation with for the past six months was finally within reach. I begged Ray, please try to stop him. Ask him if we can chat just for a bit outside. And to my surprise, Hunter agreed. I realized since this was all unplanned, I didn't have my recorder on me. I was so upset, but I thought, I can at least try to record it on my phone. Just in case he does reveal something that sheds light on Patrick, this box, or maybe even the missing watch. At first, Hunter refused to be recorded. So we sat outside and just chatted a long time. I wanted to warm him up a bit. He was also going by a different name now, Dragon Zacatus. He was now living in a new tucked away spot in East Austin. He even walked us to his new sleeping arrangements. It was tucked away in a corner just outside of an apartment complex that actually overlooked a large creek. It was within just a short walking distance of the coffee shop that we were at. After sharing a lot of updates with Ray, since he hadn't seen him in a while, he seemed to be really warming up to us. So I told him about my show and the situation at the Spider House with the spirit of Patrick and an item he was missing that resembled a timepiece. I didn't want to give him too many details, but gave him enough to see if any of this would click. Something actually did, and he let me record what he said next with my phone. Underneath the spider house, I lived under the spider house for years, and I had this incredible room. I did my artwork down there and so forth. And, uh, you know, in a certain area, there was a pillar, and there are cross beams. And so there's little shelves where I would I would hide things throughout that underground area. And uh, so basically, it's very simple. I just went into a little area that I've never really been in, and I noticed this dusty watch sitting on top of this little pillar. I found that watch by the cross beam, and I looked at it. Very, very, very enchanting. It was a really, really pretty old watch, and I kept it. Okay. I couldn't believe it. 
Sarah was right this whole time. The spirit Patrick had shown her a box and then a watch that he was missing, thinking it was still in the places he was guiding us. First the concrete pillar and the spider house where I looked up into the cross beams because Sarah had asked me to. Then Patrick yelling at Sarah when I had put my hand on the spot where Hunter used to sleep. This whole entire time, instead of Patrick showing us where the watch was, he was showing us where it used to be and who took it. I guess you could say, in a way, we solved the mystery of the missing watch. But sadly, Hunter admitted that it went into one of his sculptures years later, which he sold. So Patrick's watch was gone. Hunter did admit that he kept it in a box that he had and he carried around with him during his years at the Spider House. So many of the things that had happened and that Sarah had relayed to us at the Spider House that we just couldn't figure out all came together in this one very unexpected evening where Ray and I ran into Hunter. There's something special about the Spider House and its grounds. Everyone involved in this case, especially Ray and I, felt that all this Everything that happened around his shop, the Spider House, and my show, it felt like it was all meant to happen. Like forces outside ourselves were guiding this entire story. Things that we could not have planned but needed to discover would just fall into our hands. And I think it has everything to do with the magic of this place. The Spider House Cafe. One of the things I've always been very uh, receptive to even though I don't quite understand it, is that I always collected these paintings or pieces of furniture because my sense is that when you create a, when you see something from like an old chair to like a painting and it talks to you and communicates with you somehow, it creates a positive energy. You start filling a, a home full of these positive, and it could be like a book or a statue, an environment that's filled with all these positive energies from these people that who lived maybe a hundred years ago or 50 years ago it creates a sort of cultural collective that maybe brings this kind of spirit and it attracts you know other positive people to the house and one thing i've kind of noticed over the 20 plus years is that you'll have certain people that kind of walk up and they kind of look around i can see their eyes and something about the place they're not comfortable with and they just walk out or even kind of sit down and they'll kind of look around it's like oh so I always look at it as like with nature, it's like you create these positive flowers or these certain plants and you get insects or animals that are attracted to that. So my sense is that you create the positive energy through aesthetics and through, you know, certain items that it will attract a certain type of kinship or, you know, people to that home and stuff. That's always been my philosophy or sort of, you know, conceptual and stuff. And it seemed like it's working. You feel the warmth and energy from, you know, past souls and energy that you can kind of embrace and just sort of have a sip of wine or a drink and just socialize. It's it, it's a very unique environment that feels good. This is about six months ago. Maybe it's been a little while ago. I'm really anti-graffiti, like in the bathrooms. I always have to kind of clean it up because I always find it very uh, cancerous because it's like when people are sort of open, it's like, oh, I can graffiti it. They'll continue to graffiti it. But I've always been open to people riding on the wood it was an old Hemingway hangout in Cuba and they had tons of writing in the walls so uh, this was in the mid 90s when I went over there and started Spider House I was like okay that's kind of cool I'll let people just if they start writing the walls kind of you know go for it whatever so it's like one of the things I've done before years ago was take pictures of the walls 
for the most part, people tend to be really kind of sweet and the right, you know, really notations on the wall that's very endearing and stuff. So it's like I'm going to capture that, those moments on time by taking pictures. And I went to go take some pictures of the walls and stuff. I go, well, that's really weird. The graffiti is gone. My first thought it was like somebody was kind of cleaning. It's like, well, would somebody kind of scrub it off? Because it's not like it's been sanded off. The house is absorbing the ink. Is that possible? Well, if the spider house feels like anything, it definitely feels alive. Even though those feelings might actually be coming from the dead. So we didn't physically find Patrick's watch, but I was pleased with all the serendipitous discoveries we made on this long journey involving this magical place, a spider house, and the living and the dead that seemed to haunt its grounds. And as much as I'd like to end this story here, it really wouldn't be fitting to wrap up my final episode of this season with a nice little bow. I'd want to leave it on a cliffhanger, wouldn't I? Well, what if I told you that a story came to me from Los Angeles, California that led me and my team to believe there was yet another spirit lurking on the grounds of the Spider House? Tattoo artist Johnny Vampatna unknowingly had an experience back in 2017. He knew nothing about this podcast, but was actually doing a guest artist spot at Royal Legion Tattoo in September of 2017. The experience he had there would haunt him, lead him to discovering my show, and ultimately to return to Royal Legion a year later to share his story with Sarah and I. Yeah, I'm Johnny Vampatna. I live and work in L.A. as a tattooer and a painter. So my story about this amazing tattoo shop is in September uh, 2017. I was coming with my wife for like a three-day Austin trip, and I wanted to work like a day or two, and Ray was nice enough to let me work um, one day, and... Right away felt like this uh, sort of dizziness throughout that whole day, like the kind of same dizziness I get when I go to cemeteries or quote-unquote haunted, haunted spaces. I get that same kind of vibe. So that night, I immediately kind of went to my instincts and I said, well, like, I need some salty food. I need something like that to kind of get rid of this, thinking that that was going to be the cure-all, right? I walk across the street, get a beer, get some salty, like, food. Still wasn't feeling right about it. Got to the hotel around 11. I had these, like, frozen sort of shakes, you know, these 10 10 to 15 minutes of me just clinching on the bed, freaking out, shaking, and my wife is in, like, a panic about it, and I'm trying to be cool. I'm, like, in Austin, it's it's definitely hot out, my body in that sense that I, I never have felt before, unless I've been in a situation where it was actually cold outside, but I was definitely in a room that was not cold. When we went home from our Austin trip, my wife experienced the same thing the, ne- the same night we got home. And we both kind of went over the story over and over. She can care less one way or another about any kind of paranormal stuff whatsoever. And she said, you know, I have this weird feeling that it's some kind of, like, spirit. And I'm like, why would you say that? Because you're not into that kind of stuff. So I'm at the convention, Austin convention, in, in January, which is... A few months ago, and you know, Royal Legion has a whole booth there, and I'm pumped. And I walk up, and I'm like, "Hey, I've been waiting. I didn't want to go through text message with Ray and tell him my story or any of the guys here. I wanted to say it in person and just be like, "Hey, this is crazy shit. I don't know if you're gonna believe this." And he's like, "Oh, well, yeah, dude." 
he, he points to Ian. Ian tells me a bunch of stories. And uh, Kevin had a few stories. And my mind's blown. And everyone's like, wow, it's so, so, so trippy and so weird. And, you know, everyone's kind of used to it here already. But I'm, I'm still really excited about it to share with somebody that will listen. Ray says, well, you heard the podcast, right? And I was like, what, what do you mean, a, a podcast? He's like, yeah. So next morning, as soon as I woke up from my hotel, boom, earbuds, listen to the podcast. And I was just sitting in my Uber on the way to the convention. And I'm like, aha, aha. You know, like, this is not just some bullshit I made up in my head. During Johnny's story, I had witnessed Sarah sit down and start writing in her notepad. When Johnny finished sharing his encounter, Sarah was scratching on the paper, shaking her head. It's not Christine. It was the underneath. It was down here. That's all she kept saying. It was underneath. It was down. The phone was that. The down was that. Your sick was this. It wasn't her. Sarah had seen, from day one back on September 7th, a presence she did not like lurking on the grounds below the tattoo shop. A darker presence you may have heard her earlier referred to as the Screamer. I don't know if we'll ever dive into figuring out who or what this presence is, but another important piece to this complex puzzle was now fitting into place. Christine's spirit was a positive energy, one that Ray, his team, Sarah, and even I felt and we couldn't understand each time we visited why she was throwing new facts at us. The phone call, the clock, the broken glass, and now Johnny's experience. She kept saying, it wasn't me. It all came together this night, and we realized we may have more to this mystery to solve. But if we do, it'll have to wait till next season. Thanks so much for listening to our final episode of Season 1 of the Night Owl Podcast. And I hope you enjoyed this entire first year. I know my team and I did. I want to thank everyone that made this first season possible. Folks from Royal Legion, the Spider House, the Tavern, the Clay Pit, Amanda and Paul, and my amazing team. Sarah, Alexis, and Franklin for going on these crazy adventures with me. Nicholas Fair and Petey Wilder for your talented musical contributions to the show and my very supportive wife, Tao, for sticking with me all these late nights and long hours and for taking amazing photographs on every case. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftwork Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. You all deserve all the praise in the world, and this first year would not have happened without you. Thank you. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. Please join us at our very first live event in Austin on October 11th to celebrate this incredible first year and ring in our new season, which will drop on October 29th. To get tickets and info to our live event, Free Range Spirits, go to storybaratx.com or visit thenightallpodcast.com's homepage for a direct link to the event. And don't forget... Please vote for us to help us win Best Local Podcast in the Austin Chronicles 2018 Best of Election. The link to vote is on our homepage at thenightowlpodcast.com. And to help keep this show going and my team and I fed and caffeinated, please support us for as little as a dollar a month on our Patreon page. This contribution not only helps me keep this show alive, you gain access to a ton of cool behind-the-scenes stuff, 
so please visit patreon.com backslash the night owl podcast and become a night owl patron today thank you all and stay restless out there This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.